0: Hello and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services.
1: Good morning. Welcome to Hope, you guys. My name is Danny and I'm the lead pastor here and We just wanted to give you guys a little highlight reel from the Good Friday Paddle Out that just happened on Friday night. And it was so amazing to see the community come together and so many different churches. And the history was about 10 years ago, my wife had the idea. She says, you know, in Santa Cruz, when somebody dies, we paddle out. Why don't we do that for Good Friday? I'm like, duh. So there was like seven of us from Hope that like paddle out the first time. And then we didn't expect, but it just became, became this thing that kept snowballing. And I don't know, maybe, like, in the future, how crazy would it be? Like, I just envision, you know, thousands of people, Main Beach. I don't know. You never know what God could do. But wouldn't that be cool? But the highlight for me, to be honest, was seeing some of you be baptized, taking the plunge to go all in. That was, yeah, we can give it up. We had, I, I, there's too many. It was more than 20 people. Lucy's here. She got baptized. And... Uh, Maria and Mark and there's a bunch of people from Hope that got baptized and it was just that's that's the highlight right there because it represents the redemption story, isn't it, of Jesus that we are even though we are dead, we're raised to life in Christ and that's what Easter Sunday is all about. Amen. Happy Resurrection Sunday, friends. How many guys know sometimes in life things happen that you don't expect? Really? I got married young. 21. My wife was 22. It's like a box of chocolates; you never know what you're gonna get. And uh, I didn't expect this. I grew up in a home where every meal insisted if it if there was no meat in the meal, it was not a meal; it was a snack. And me and Jenny were, you know, we, we neither of us had like lived on our own really, and we lived at college and stuff. But like this is our first time, like kind of playing house. And I'm where I'm like microwaving burritos, and she's like trying to make meals. And so she, she, she put it all together one night. She's like, oh, you're going to be so stoked. I'm making shepherd's pie. I come home, and I'm all excited. I'm just like, whoa, because I, I spent two summers in Islington in London working with inner city youth back in the day. I was like, I love shepherd's pie. I come home, and I'm eating it. And I'm like, babe, where's the meat? And she's like, I made you a meatless shepherd's pie. I've always dreamt of being vegan. Can we be vegan together? I was like, so it took her about 20 years, but... About four years ago, she finally convinced me to go plant-based. We got some plant-based people in the house. All right. And I, I'm a fisherman, so like I never was like fully plant-based. I was kind of like, I'm like 90% plant-based, you know, trying to eat healthy. But like, you know, if you slay a big halibut, we're having tacos, you know what I'm saying? So I wasn't, all, I was never like fully in and, you know, people would call me a vegan or a flexitarian or a schmegan or, or a cheegan, because I would cheat on the vegan. But anyways, so like all that to say four and a half years, we battled it out with the plant-based world. And then about a month ago, my wife said to me, Danny, I want to cry right now. She says, Danny, I think I need to eat some chicken. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm, I'm going to give up the healthy eating here, but like to just put the coals on the barbecue, and throw that Coralitas pre-marinated chicken on the barbecue, it was like heaven. It was like incense going to God in heaven. You never know what you're going to expect in life, right? You never know what to expect. And this message, I promise you, this is not what you expect. You've never heard this Easter message before. I don't care if you're like the Christmas and Easter, you know, you show up and it's like you've heard this message before. I promise you, you've never heard this Easter message before because we're talking out of Revelation in the Bible. You ready for this? We're concluding part of an annual series we're doing. This is the first part. We're going to pick it up again in a couple months. We're concluding this part called the last days. How many of you guys know we've been pretty shaken with everything going on in the world? And Some people are asking, like, is this the last days? And so we're talking about it. We're studying Revelation in the Bible. And so today we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 5 on Easter Sunday. Are you going to be you're going to, you're going to be Okay. If you need to leave, it's, no, I'm just kidding. No, stay with me. You're going to love this. We're going to be looking at Revelation 5. And so if you have it on your phones or if you guys have your Bibles, you can crack it to Rev 5. And we're going to look at that. And, and, and here, here's what I want to say today. The world needs a hero. We're fascinated with superheroes, aren't we? I mean, me and my son, we're into the Marvel. And it's like, we, got, we have like, I've with like three superheroes. Kids today, you've got like 48, like there's a whole book and I'm like, I don't, it's like, it's like the Bible memorizing all the different superheroes. We're fascinated with this idea that the world needs a hero. But in reality, that's fiction, but in reality, today we're talking about how the fact that, how many of you guys know that the world is not right? There's something wrong with the world. Now, we get glimpses of beauty, paddling out, hiking up in the redwoods going down the slopes in Tahoe but then it all crashes down come back to reality and we recognize that this world is a broken place and you see the devastation caused by war by human trafficking by selfishness by sin by brokenness just at a local level by addiction and divorce and relational brokenness the corruption scandal so much hatred so much evil right we get these little glimpses of heaven, and then it, and then it get, we get let down. It's kind of like the 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 ongoing letdown. And we look to leaders, we look to celebrities, right? We want someone to come and make it right, don't we? We want someone to come and make it right, but all fall short. Unfortunately, every leader and every celebrity, every politician, they're just like us because we're all part of the problem, aren't we? Not even Arnold with his Conan sword can make it right. You know? And sometimes you wish you could call Liam Neeson and, and he could come with his spe- specific skills and come in and make things right. But all of our attempts to bring judgment and to bring righteousness in the world fall short. And the world is sick. And we're all infected with the same disease. The world needs a hero. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter one, chapter one, 5, verse 1. We left off last week with this vision of heaven with the living creatures, the 24 elders representing all of creation and all of God's people circling and and bowing down before the throne of God. Like a lot of times we have visions of heaven and oftentimes they're about us, right? Peace, nirvana, my, my, uh, my mansions in heaven, my crowns in heaven, right? And the visions that God gives of heaven in Revelation are not so much about us, but they're about God. So if you want to see a cool vision, read Revelation 4 and catch up with us. But Revelation 5, we're going to look at this. And the first line is this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. What is this scroll? Before we get going into this whole vision here, I'm just going to explain something. Revelation is full of symbolism. And it's prophetic. It's what they call apocalyptic literature. And so it was written by and for people in the first century that were going under tremendous persecution. The world was gnarlier for them than it is even for us today. And they were suffering tremendous persecution by the Roman Empire. And so this letter is a letter from Jesus to the seven churches in this area that were in partnership, kind of like us, right? We have three churches in partnership in Santa Cruz County. Last night we had seven churches on the beach praising God together and Back in, uh, which is interesting, we had seven churches, but in in this day, in Ephesus, there was seven churches that were in partnership in this region together, and so this letter was to them, and we're going to be looking at, what is this scroll? Well, I did the research, I looked back into it, and there's a number of different ideas about what it could be. What is this scroll? Back in this day, if you had a, a really important document, it would be rolled up on a scroll, and if I had an image, it would just basically look like a parchment, right? And instead of just being a basic rolled up parchment, it, they would put seals on it. So it would be wrapped with, with a cord, and then they would take a wax seal, and they would impress on their, the heat, and they would burn it in there with an, with, a, um, uh, you know, with an imprint. And then that would be sealed so that only the person that was authorized to open it could open it. But in this case, it's a scroll that has writing on both sides with seven seals. With Four would be a lot of seals. Seven is like an extremely, extreme amount of seals, which is like, what is seven? But it's this picture of completion in the Bible. And so we have this scroll that we're talking about here that is written on both sides. What does that mean? And so after looking at the different ideas of what this scroll could be, um, some scholars believe it could be the scroll of judgment. Some scholars believe it could be the scroll of God's will. But what's interesting about this scroll is the writing on the back. And you know how in Monopoly... when you you mortgage one of your properties, you turn it over and there's like a price on the back? That's what this scroll was. This scroll had writing on the back because it had been mortgaged. Some scholars believe that this scroll is the title deed to the earth. God gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth when he created all things. But when they sinned, And they turned their back on God. They handed it over to Satan. And that's why we live in a broken world. And it's so messed up. And as much as it's beautiful, it's super painful. And when you look at really what's going on across the world. Because this deed has been in the wrong hands. But the good news is that Jesus is coming back. And it says... So this, so this scroll, possibly the title deed to the earth, let's go ahead and read what it, what it continues to say here. Verse 2, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I, John, wept and wept, Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Why is John weeping? He's weeping because he's seen the devastation. He's firsthand seen the pain and the ugliness and the suffering. All of his friends have been killed. And they tried to kill him. And when he didn't die, they threw him on this island. And he's writing this this letter to us, to the church, ultimately. But there's, there's things that we can gain from it as well. Who is worthy? How many of you guys know Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world? Verse 3 says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. I see, see the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Right? So he heard the lion of the tribe of Judah, but then let's look at what he saw. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. I saw a lamb looking as it had been slain. What does that mean? How interesting. The scroll, no one can open it, and then now it's saying there is one. And John heard the lion, but then when he looked, he saw, he saw a lamb. Let me just break this down and explain this to you guys. For many, many years, there had been a promise of a messianic king, a king that would come back and kick butt and reign politically and militarily. And they were waiting. They were hoping for a king that would do that. They were hoping for a hero, the lion king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that's what John heard. What did he see? It wasn't what he expected. Jesus didn't come in the way that people expected him to come. He came as a lamb that was slain. John the Baptist, Jesus' friend, called it out early on. He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let me just explain this for you guys really quick. What is the sin of lamb in the Bible? In the Old Testament, because of sin, the only way to make things right was to sacrifice Blood had to be shed so that you could be forgiven of your sins in the Old Testament. I know that sounds kind of gnarly, but when you think about it, these are a shepherding people, and that's what they did for a living, right? They raised animals, and they killed animals. Sounds kind of gnarly. Most of us don't do that anymore, but that's what they did, and God's giving them something that they already know how to do to become close to him again. Isn't that cool? It's less creepy when you think about it that way. But there's this powerful moment for the people of Israel. It's called the Exodus. And this is where God's people were enslaved in Egypt. God wanted to rescue his people, and he brought about a series of plagues to the Egyptian people, saying, hey, let my people go, through Moses, right? If you guys have watched The Prince of Egypt, the Disney movie, Moses, Moses comes out there, or the old, uh, um, you know, what's the old Ten Commandments, right, back in the day, you know, Moses says, let my people go. And he doesn't, and then there's all these plagues which are going to be tying in in the upcoming chapters. But then the ultimate plague was the final one, where he had the people, and this is what Passover is. The reason why Easter moves every year is because it's based on the lunar cycle, based on Passover. Friday night was Passover. Jesus was killed on Passover. And he, he, he did Passover together with the disciples the day before, and they would have, but they had no lamb when he did it. But what they would do is they would kill the lamb. And they would eat the bread and drink to the ceremony they would do because it was based upon that moment in in Egypt when God rescued his people out. And they took the blood of the lamb and they put her over the doorpost and they were going to be saved. Instead of God sending a hero the way that we think that God should send a hero, God sent Jesus and he laid down his life for us. Thank you, Lord. He died on the cross. The Roman cross was so painful, they had to come up with a new word for it, how painful it was. The word excruciating means out of the cross. So painful, they had to come up with another, a new word. And Jesus went through that, and he died. His pulse stopped, his heart stopped beating, his body went cold. And they checked. The Roman soldiers were professional killers. They checked. And they buried him in a tomb. Wrapped him up like a mummy. And God counted to three. One, two, three. And the stone was burned. and Jesus was risen from the dead to conquer sin and death once and for all. The Lamb that was slain, it looked as if he was slain, but he was alive. And now John is on this island by himself, going, Lord, is there hope? And God's given him this vision of Jesus on the throne as this conquering lamb. Check this out standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, the lamb had seven horns. Okay, that's one out too, right? He, he's all seeing, he's all powerful, with, um, all seeing, all knowing, which are the seven spirits of God representing the Holy Spirit sent out into all the earth, right? So we have this picture of Jesus symbolically as a lamb on the throne who's all powerful, he's all seeing, and he's omnipresent. That sounds like God. The God that gave his life for us. How powerful is that? He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And again, these these represent all creation. And the 24 elders could possibly be like the 12 tribes and the 12 disciples. Representing the the full, complete people of God who are now bowing down. What's our response when we recognize the one who created the earth and gave us breath and life laid down his own life for us to rescue us and redeem us, to buy us back? And he begins to reveal himself and his plans for the world to us. What's our response? I'm just going to read this last part of the scripture and let it stand for itself. You guys want to just close your eyes and take this in? Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. This was not what they expected. They expected it just to be their people or their. This is like we just went global. Every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They were, they were encircling the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. What was their response when they recognized even though it wasn't what they, what they expected, we have all creation, all of God's people recognizing what Jesus has done. That he once and for all has conquered death He's conquered sin. He's overcome the world by laying down his own life. The only response we can have is gratitude. That is their response. They respond in worship. They respond in giving praise and glory to the one who created us all to glorify him. And that's where we find our purpose as well in life, is is enjoying God and glorifying him amen? My question for you today is, what will you do? How will you respond to the lamb? I just have two thoughts for you today as we we wrap this, land this plane here. Um, Number one is this, redemption. You guys know what the word redemption means? You ever see it on the back of the cans? Like, they'll actually buy back your can to to recycle it, right? There's a redemption value. It just means to buy back because of value. And Jesus paid the ultimate price to buy back the earth and all of the people, which is us, with his own life. To redeem the whole world. But redemption starts with you and me. It starts with Mark and Maria and Lucy and those that were being baptized the other night, making that decision to receive this great gift that God's given us of eternal life and a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. In the same way that we're all part of the problem, right? None of us are worthy to open the scroll. None of us are worthy to bring judgment on the earth. Thank God, right? In the same way, The redemption in the world begins with us in each of our stories. So it's so cool to think about how God redeems our story, isn't it? I was thinking about a a guy that I recently met who was going down the wrong path and he found, he watched a YouTube video of all things but it just brought him to this place where he realized he needed God and friend of a friend he reached out and We met up and he was baptized down on the beach and I'm seeing his whole entire life change and transform in front of my eyes. And it's not about something that you do, we do. It's about what Jesus did. Do you know that? That's the one thing that separates Christianity from all other religions. This isn't to speak down on any other religion. But every other religious leader taught some good things, lived a good life, and they died. Jesus is the only one that rose from the grave. And it's the most well-documented event in ancient history. This is historical. This is true. And not only did he raise from the dead, but the message that he brings is so different from any religion. I think it's our human nature. We want to get a checklist. Give a list. How do I do this? How can I be good so I can er- climb the... I was you know, educating my son in classic rock the other day, uh, we were listening to Stairway to Heaven, you know? And it's like we're all trying to climb the stairway to heaven. And every religion, if you think about it, every religion in the world, it's spelled D-O. You do this, you get this. In the Bible, it's at, in the Old Testament, it's, it's, it's communicated like this. You reap what you sow. In the other traditions, it's called do this, you get this. Christianity is the only religion in the world that's not spelled D-O. Even though we can make it that, can't we? We're really good at that. But if you look at what Jesus did, when he said it is finished, D-O-N-E. There's nothing you can do to add to what he's done. Amen? It's done. We're saved because of what Jesus did for us that we could never do for ourselves. We are so broken that God needed to die for us, but we're so loved that he did. And so how will you respond? My last point for you is this. Responding is simple because it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did that's already done can do is respond in the same way that all of heaven and the angels and all creation is to say thank you and to say you are worthy God, you are worthy Jesus and and we, we give him the praise for that it's a response of gratitude, when someone gives you a gift you don't run out and say well what do I have to do to earn it you say thank you And when God gives you the greatest gift, what do you do? How will you respond to the Lamb today, friends?
0: We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.